Welcome to our service this Sunday morning, a wonderful Sunday morning to be here together. And I hope that uh, you had a great Easter celebration this past uh, Sunday, as well as throughout the week. And even today, as we consider a similar theme, both in the message that I'll preach, as well as in the congregational singing. The uh, songs are going to be led by Laura and Leah Holland, and the words will be on the screen for you to follow, and they are of Crown Him with Many Crowns and One Day. Then just before the message, we'll have a solo that I believe addresses the proper response to our risen Lord, and that is uh, that we should bow the knee. Please join us in singing.
And thank you for singing with us. And uh, this next uh, song is a solo, one I picked that I believe uh, gives a proper response to the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is our risen Lord. And because he is our Lord, he's the one in which we should bow the knee to. What a privilege to come into God's presence Just to linger with the one who set me free As I lift my eyes I see his awesome glory I remember who he is and bow the knee Bow the knee, bow the knee he is king of all the ages, bow the knee. God alone on his throne, see him high and lifted up and bow the knee. Kneel before him, all adore him, as you live to love him more, bow the knee. In his hand he holds the power of creation. With his voice he spoke and all things came to be. Yet he hears the simple prayer I bring before him. When I humbly seek his face and bow the knee. Bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages, bow the knee. God alone on his throne, see him high and lifted up and bow the knee. Kneel before him, all adore him, as you live to love him more, bow the such a great truth. We are to bow the knee to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Nathan Hale was an American hero captured as a spy in New York City during the Revolutionary War. Before he was hanged, his last words were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Patrick Henry, another American hero, made this statement, Give me liberty or give me death. 
one last words and other just famous words uh, that were given at a particular time, a great impact both of them had upon our country because people still today, these many years later, still remember those words. There are some other famous words almost 2,000 years ago, some spoken on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ, three of them that said, it is finished. Oh, the greatest statement uh, there for us in Christianity. Everything that was necessary to pay for my sin debt and for yours was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. We also know that uh, there's nothing else that we can do. I remind you of the story of the lost man that came to the revival service and in the tent meetings there, it had ended and he came in and he spoke to the evangelist and said, uh, tell me please, what can I do to be saved? And the evangelist just told him, I'm sorry, it's too late, you can't do anything. And uh, the man was quite shocked and then the evangelist explained that Jesus Christ had already done it all. And praise the Lord for that, it is finished. Everything was accomplished on Calvary for my salvation and yours. Some other last words we may call them came and are recorded in, uh, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 28 at the resurrection of the Lord. There was an angel that appeared to the ladies and the women there, uh, he said uh, in verse 6, he is not here for he is risen as he said. Praise the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. And that is some great news, some famous last words that is so much celebrated today, and we should continue to do so. It's one of the greatest days of celebration in all of Christianity last week of Easter. And I want to continue today as we tie through this message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I hope you took some time last week to celebrate that through shouting out, He is risen. Praising the Lord for what he has accomplished. The famed British minister, W.E. Spankster, began to lose his voice and mobility in the mid-1950s. His disease called, caused progressive muscular atrophy. <coughs> Excuse me. He recognized the end was near, so he threw himself into writing and into praying. In the midst of his suffering, he pleaded, let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but give me just a regiment to lead. Uh, Sangster's voice eventually failed completely and his legs became useless. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and shakily wrote his daughter a letter. In it he said, It would be, uh, excuse me, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning, and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. And what a shame, what I think a sad story, for a person not to want to shout, not to get excited about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially a genuine Christian. I hope that you took that time and shouted out, He is risen. But some people, I think, are hesitant to shout because they're hesitant to believe. Uh, it should have been enough for God to have recorded 
the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Scripture as he did. But I'm also glad that uh, he also included some proofs of that resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, especially in verse 3, that it speaks of the resurrection, and it says that Christ showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, many undeniable facts. He did not say in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, what those proofs were, but we have a lot of recorded facts about his resurrection and proofs and evidences of his resurrection recorded for us in the scriptures. I've entitled the message this morning, Evidences of the Resurrection of Christ. Father, I pray that right now that you would bless as we continue in this message. Thank you for the subject matter of it. I pray that you would help me right now to be able to concentrate upon what you've laid upon my heart. Help me not to be distracted by anything else. And I pray that you would help me, Lord, to be able to share the truth of your word in such a way that not only it would excite us about what we see, but it would challenge our hearts to be the people of yours that you want us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 is called by many people the resurrection chapter. It's called that because the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the believer is dealt with more here than anywhere else in Scripture. Excuse me. My allergies are acting up. The fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of Christianity is evident because of a few things before we get into 1 Corinthians 15. Number one, if you remember after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ into heaven, he told his disciples just before he went up to wait for the anointing from on high, the Holy Spirit of God that would come. And on the 50th day after his resurrection, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came down and filled them. And Peter, the next two messages that he preached to people had to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was foremost in his emphasis in the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, the death of Jesus Christ absolutely is important. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. But Jesus Christ did not stay dead. He is alive forevermore. He has everlasting life, and he can offer it to every one of us. Praise the Lord for the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ seem emphasized in the preaching of their messages. Secondly, without the resurrection, salvation could not have been provided. As I mentioned a while ago, it was through the death of of Jesus Christ that we have our sins paid, but it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have the truth of his everlasting life that he can offer to us. Praise the Lord for what he has done. And also, thirdly, without um, the belief in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. We're told in Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, it's not only believing 
and what he did in his death, but it's also acknowledging his resurrection that's important. Both of them are needed for salvation. And if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then you are not saved. You're not one of his children. And that is evident. In the first 11 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul records for us five testimonies as evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one is seen in verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now let's look at what Paul is writing about this testimony. It's the testimony of the church. And it says there that they had received the gospel that Paul had preached unto them, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and were standing on that truth. They were believing it and they had received it. Their salvation and the miraculous change that God was doing in them was because of their belief and reception of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it was evidence that it was real that it was true, and it was making a difference in their lives. Uh, It was rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the end of verse 2, it says that if we keep in memory those things that he preached, it means to hold fast, to continue to abide by. And it's not saying, Paul wasn't uh, indicating a warning that you could possibly lose your salvation if you didn't continue, but it was a warning against those non-genuine professors of faith in Jesus Christ who did walk away and leave it, indicating that they were not truly one of Jesus Christ's children, not genuinely saved. It's possible to make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus and not truly possess the salvation that he offers. Jesus had, excuse me, Jesus had much to say about that. You remember his words when he said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Jesus was telling them if he was genuinely their Lord, he was the one then that they were to obey. They were to listen to. He was to guide their life, their very choices. If he is our Lord, we want to respond the same way. Not just as a salvation, a get-out-of-hell card, but we have a relationship with Him as our Master, as our Lord. And we want to serve Him appropriately. He gave the parable of the sower also. You remember the different kinds of ground that the seed fell upon. And the seed represented the Word of God, the Gospel, we could say specifically. And it fell upon one type of soil that was called the wayside. It was packed down where people would walk. The seed hit there, but it's too hard for it to take root. And the birds would come and and take it away. And it said the birds represented Satan, the devil, that would come take away the thought of the gospel from their hearts, lest it would take root. They were not saved. But then there was also some that fell on the stony ground, 
the stony ground had dirt, had soil on it, but it had uh, stones or dirt, uh, excuse me, had uh, rock up under it. So there was not much depth of soil. And the plant, the seed would take root and, and spring up, but because it did not have any depth, when the sun came out, representing the trials of life and persecution, when that took place, it dried up and withered away. It never produced any fruit. And then there were some that fell amongst the thorns. And the thorns, the Lord said, represented the cares of this life, the things about this world that choke out the truth of the gospel and cause a person not to want to think about or not to want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It was only one kind of ground, the good ground, the good soil, that the seed fell upon, that the plant grew and began to change and began to bear fruit. And that fruit is evidence that there's genuine life in the plant. And that is what salvation is. It's making not just a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's demonstrating the genuineness of that choice because there is a change that begins to take place and we begin to display the fruit, the evidence that we have eternal life. And so it is important for us to recognize the difference. And here, these people, the Christians of the church, the ones that were genuinely saved, they had that evidence in their life. The gospel not only had saved them by their testimony of profession, but by their lives being changed and by their fruit being evident that the gospel had the power to change life. It was indeed true that Jesus Christ was alive forevermore. Part of the gospel that changes lives. Not only do we have the testimony of the church, but we also have the testimony of scripture. Verses 3 and 4, Paul wrote, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now in this we have what is called the gospel in a nutshell. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it states there that it is true according to the scriptures. Now, what scriptures was Paul referring to? Well, it would be the Old Testament scriptures. Specifically, it would be prophecies that were given concerning the Messiah, messianic prophecies that were being fulfilled by Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and resurrection. So there were prophecies then about the death of the Messiah, his burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah. So let's look at a few examples. In Isaiah 53, we know this, uh, should be familiar with it at least. In verses 4 through 6, we, write, we read here, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him uh, stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. Who is the Him that took our place? Who is the Him that the Lord laid all the sin of us on? It was the Lord Jesus there on Calvary. We're also told in Psalm 22 and verse 16, For dogs have compassed me about, they have encircled me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Obviously, the Lord Jesus in crucifixion had his hands and his feet pierced by the nails to hang him upon the cross. The death of the Lord Jesus, the death of the Messiah foretold and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. He is crucified for us. Secondly, his burial, the Messiah's burial is foretold. In Isaiah 53 again, in verse 9, it says, He made his grave with the rich in his death. With the rich in his death. You know, the Lord Jesus did not have a grave to be buried in. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And we know the New Testament scriptures tell, tell us that it was Joseph of Arimathea that requested for his body and him and Nicodemus buried him in Joseph's tomb. The New Testament put it, puts it this way. He was buried in the tomb of a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph. And so Joseph was the rich man, and it was his tomb that Jesus was laid to rest and buried uh, there after the cross, after his crucifixion. His burial was foretold, and it was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, his resurrection is foretold, the Messiah's resurrection. In Psalm 16 and verse 10, where it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell in death, in Hades, neither will thou suffer or permit thy Holy One to see corruption. His body will not decay. And we have there that prophecy of the resurrection before his body would decay. Praise God, he arose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. We have the testimony of the scriptures, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ according to to the scriptures. And then the third evidence we have is a testimony of the eyewitnesses. In verses 5 and following, it says that he was seen of Cephas. Now, Cephas is another name for Peter, Simon Peter. And then he was seen of the 12 uh, apostles. Actually, it was only the 11 because Judas had hung himself. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. So we have a list of some that there were eyewitnesses. Uh, we talked about Peter, Cephas, as it mentioned there. We talked about the twelve, all the apostles. But there are two others. There's the, the 500 above that uh, he appeared to. And to James. <clears throat> now to James, there are three men that could have been uh, speaking about. I think it's the last one we'll cover. The first James was the son of John, oh, excuse me, was a uh, brother of John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were known as the sons of thunder. Uh, I don't believe it was that James. There was another d- disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that was James, the son of Alphaeus. I don't believe it was him. The third James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same mother of Mary, but a different father. James had the father of Joseph. Jesus had the father of God. Uh, God is his father. So we have here a difference. He was a half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us that his brethren did not believe upon him at the beginning. But by the time that the ascension takes place, his brethren, including James, is included there. Somewhere after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the ascension, those 40 days afterwards, James came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his other brethren as well. I believe it was when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared unto his half-brother and showed himself alive that James believed on him and the rest of the family as well. Um, James was used then of God to write the book of James that we have in the New Testament. But what I want us to focus on is the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 500 brethren at once. Over 500, above 500 it says. I want us to ask and answer, when did this take place? Where did it take place? And what is the significance of it? Number one, the when, we have it recorded, I believe, in Matthew 28, in the last verses, the Lord gives what is called the Great Commission. And as you read through the resurrection chapter of Matthew 28, as he arose from the dead, he appeared to some of the women, and, uh, or excuse me, the angel appeared to them and said, Go tell uh, his disciples that he goes before them into Galilee. There shall you see him or meet him. And I believe the you speaks more than just the 11 disciples, but the women also went along and others from that area. Um, where did it take place is in Galilee. He met with them there. And I believe the reason, and you have to do some thinking here, but uh, think about this. If the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to meet with just the 11, why didn't he meet right there in Jerusalem? Why didn't you meet there on the Mount of Olives with them? Instead of taking them all the way up to Galilee and then turning around and shortly thereafter coming back to the Mount of Olives for the ascension. Now I believe the answer is because there were so many of the Lord's disciples, followers, believers in Him that were located in Galilee. And so the word got out that Jesus was going to be there. The disciples, the women and others from the area of, of uh, uh, Judea came. And also from Galilee, they came over 500 believers at once that the Lord Jesus Christ showed himself to. They heard him speak and teach uh, there before them and give this great commission to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the significance of that? Well, all of these witnesses, over 500 of them, had the same story, had the same eyewitness. Someone might try to argue and say, well, they were just coerced into having that kind of a testimony. Well, you think about it, over 500 people maintaining the same story. Somebody would have broke ranks. <laughs> Somebody would have told it a little differently. 
but all of them saw the same things. It was a unified testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ was indeed alive. Praise the Lord for that evidence of the testimony of these eyewitnesses. And then we have the testimony of a special eyewitness. Paul records about himself in verse 8 and following. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet, not meet, uh, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. <clears throat> but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. We have here the testimony of the Apostle Paul himself. <coughs> Excuse me. When was it that Jesus appeared to Paul? Well, the answer is on the Damascus Road. Acts chapter 9 records it. If you remember, Paul at that time was called Saul. He was the one that was consenting at the death of uh, Stephen, uh, the first martyr. And when he died, just after that, he went further, continuing to persecute the church and to drag people into jail, into uh, prison. And he got orders uh, to be able to go and, and do so in other cities. And he was on the way to Damascus, on the Damascus Road. And the Lord appeared to him. There are three great things that we see in that passage. Number one, there was a great light that was said to have happened. I believe this was the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as he appeared to Paul and Paul saw him. The others that were with Paul said that they heard the voice, but they did not see anyone. But Paul saw the Lord knew who he was, was blinded in the case doing it. But God restored that a little bit later. But he saw the great light, the appearance of the risen Lord. By the way, we know he saw him because no one could be qualified to be an apostle unless they had seen the resurrected Lord. And Paul was the an apostle. So he had seen the Lord in this appearance in the great light. Secondly, there was a great voice. It was the Lord's voice speaking to him. And thirdly, there was a great mission that was given to Paul. If you read down through beyond, you'll find out that God gave him a mission to be the apostle to the Gentiles. What a great call that God had given to this particular apostle. And God used him in writing the majority of the New Testament books that we have. But here's the eyewitness of the Apostle Paul saying that he saw the Lord Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. Truly, he was alive. And then finally, in verse 11, we have the testimony of the common message. Let me explain it reads, therefore, whether it were I, Paul says, or they, the other apostles, so we preach and so ye believe. In other words, myself, Paul said, and all the other apostles, we're all preaching 
the same gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, and you're all receiving the same message that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again the third day to pay for your sins penalty and to extend unto you everlasting life. The same message and the same one preached and the same one received by the people. It is a testimony of a common message. Uh, Praise the Lord for the evidences we have time to see this morning. Uh, I thank the Lord for giving it to us this way because we can see not only the fact of the resurrection, but we see all of the witnesses to that, the testimonies that prove the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed alive forevermore. Uh, these many infallible proofs should be should make us confident of where our faith is and what we believe. Uh, it should leave no question in our minds as to the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christian, can I ask you this morning, do you know for sure that you, your salvation is genuine? Do you have evidences of that genuineness in your life? I'm not asking have you just believed the facts, but has the Lord Jesus Christ started a change in your life? And there are, are there evidences of that life within you? If not, I would be very careful to evaluate and make sure of your salvation. If you do have those evidences, praise the Lord for that truth and the evidence of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You've made the choice. Also, Christian, I hope that you'll have the opportunity to share the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with others. And that both you and them could celebrate and rejoice and shout, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, I thank you for the opportunity today we've had to look into your word and see not just the fact stated that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead, but that also, Lord, that you have given much infallible proofs, many infallible proofs, testimonies to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. May that ring through our hearts today and always, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I want to remind you what I shared a little bit in our email about this particular service. I shared with you about the online giving that's now set up and and available to you. You can go onto our website and the blue tabs that you'll see uh, as it comes up, there will be one that says online giving, click on it. And then choose a pre-suggested amount of giving, or you can type in a custom amount that you want. And that amount should reflect what you're going to give in your tithes and any designated offering. Uh, Next, you would choose your payment type, credit card or debit card. And then how often do you want to make this payment? Is it a one-time gift? Are you going to do it weekly, monthly? There are other... Uh, uh, options for you to choose and then you're to designate there's the first box it'll have tithe and some other things most of us would put tithe down first uh, there if you're only giving a gift let's say for um, uh, a particular 
uh, event missions, let's say, and it's uh, a separate gift than what your tithe is, you can do it there that way. But if you give your tithe first and then go to the right, you'll see where it will say other designations and you can click that uh, little arrow and it will drop down and have options for you such as missions, adult Sunday school class, benevolence, uh, Morris Gleiser, if you've not had opportunity to help us in catching up what we uh, delivered unto him as he was here before all of this happened with our not being able to meet anymore. Uh, you can do so in that designation. But once you've done that, then you click on the button that says Give Now. And then it will take you to where you can fill in your payment information that will ask for your email address, uh, your name, etc., and, uh, and your um, card number. All of that will be put on there. This is the secure site, by the way. And there will be under there a box that you can check, optional, uh, that helps cover the trans uh, transaction cost. Each one of our processing of, of your donations has a processing fee that is attached that the church has to pay. And you can check to give and it show you what that exact amount is that you can check that you can add that to your gift to offset what the church would have to pay. Or if you leave it unchecked, then the church would just have to pay that. But once you've done that, then it'll say give, and it'll have the total amount of your offering. Give now. And you click that, and you'll receive an email to the uh, email address you gave with a confirmation of your gift and receipt of that uh, for tax purposes as well. If you have any questions about this process or doing that, please feel free to give us a call. I'll be glad to try to answer those questions. Again, thank you very much for joining us today. May God bless you and keep you well. That's all for now. We'll see you later, Lord willing.